Welcome to the January 17th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 7, verses 14 through 21, and the sermon is entitled, The Reality of Knowing Jesus, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. As we gather here today, we're going to continue on in a study through the Gospel of John. We are in John chapter 7. So if you're here in person, if you're streaming at home, if you're in the parking lot on an FM signal, get your Bible out, turn it with me to the Gospel of John chapter 7. We're taking another step forward. This account, of course, of Jesus' life was written by the old disciple John, the longest lived of the disciples. He was there when Jesus' earthly ministry began and he was called to walk with him. He was there to see him as the Son of God. He was there to see Jesus as the greatest preacher the world has ever known or will ever know. He was there to walk with him to see the miracles, even the miracle of raising someone to new life. He was there to see Jesus as one of the greatest loves of the world. But he was also there to see that Jesus was one of the most hated men who's ever lived. He was there to see him die on the cross. He was there to see him in resurrection. God allowed John to be a part of Jesus' life and Jesus' life to be a part of John so that he could write this description of his life, hitting the high points, not every account of everything he did, but giving us the high points of his life that we might come to know him as our personal Lord and Savior. This is a witnessing tool. So in my last sermon in John chapter 7, Jesus is far north. If you remember, there's kind of a division. Far north in the Holy Land is Galilee with the Sea of Galilee. As you go southward, you will come to Jerusalem and to Bethlehem and to the southern region of uh, the, the Holy Land. And there's a division of about 80 to 90 miles between Galilee and Jerusalem. Jesus is in Galilee as of the last sermon. He is talking to his brothers Uh, This is interesting but sad. His earthly brothers, the young men with whom he grew up, were not believers. Some of them became believers, we know. Two of them have letters in our Bible. Uh, We're thankful for James and for Jude as we see letters from believers who are brothers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But in their youth, they were not believers. And so when we see them speaking to Jesus here in John chapter 7, they're not giving him support. They're taunting him. They're challenging him. They're not giving him good words, but rather they're giving him negative words because they don't believe him as the Savior. They taunt him. And so here's where we pick up Scripture today. So stay with me here. They're in Galilee. Brothers are talking to Jesus. They're not giving him positive words, but rather they're challenging him. They're saying, Jesus... The Feast of Tabernacles, one of the high holy days of the Jewish faith, the Feast of Tabernacles is taking place in Jerusalem right now. You need to go down from Galilee here, travel down south 80 miles, go to Jerusalem, and why don't you pull out a few of your fancy miracles and show those people who you are? Well, they weren't supportive at all. They were challenging him as disbelievers. And so the brothers do go on down to Jerusalem, and Jesus does not accompany them, but he does go. He does go according to God's timing. He goes about midweek. The Feast of Tabernacles is one week, seven days long, 
And Scripture teaches us that Jesus arrives in Jerusalem at, at about the midpoint of the Feast of Tabernacles. He travels there, and much of the world is in Jerusalem. Remember that when a high holy day of the Jewish faith comes along, that the world gathers to Jerusalem. So there are residents who live there. There are the religious leaders who reside there to lead the people in the faith. And yet those leaders hate Jesus. They can't stand him. They don't know that he's coming to Jerusalem at this point. But also at the feast, there are many from all over the world there. And as Pastor Clyde said this morning, and I agree with him, this is a very challenging passage of Scripture. Now, this church belongs to Jesus Christ. Amen? This Word is the Word of God. It belongs to Him. And so every word of it is important. And when a preacher gets to a challenging passage, we don't just want to move to a sweeter passage, but we're going to tackle this passage today. And see how it speaks to us and what the Word of God says, even though it's a bit intricate and even though it has its layers, it has a great message for us that we need to hear this day. So as we know, Jesus has traveled now from Galilee to Jerusalem. He is coming into the town. But if you remember, it tells us in Scripture that Jesus secretly comes into Jerusalem. People don't know he's there. His own brothers don't even know he's there. But as we get to this passage, he becomes very, very public. Now, we're going to study verses 14 through 31 today, but we're going to take it in chunks. So I want you to keep your Bible open. We're going to read passages through as we study through this passage. So let's begin right now with John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 14 through 19 at this particular moment. So hear these words now as Jesus is in Jerusalem in this holy day and he becomes very public right now. Verse 14. Now about the midst of the feast, which is the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How knoweth this man letters, having never learned? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keepeth the law. Why go ye about to kill me? Well, as we consider those few verses of Scripture... Jesus secretly has come into Jerusalem, but he makes a very public appearance. In fact, he couldn't be any more public than he is right now because he goes right to the heart of the center of Jerusalem, to the temple, and he stands in the temple to teach God's Word. There was no more public forum than that. So he went from secret to the most public place he could be. And as he teaches, he teaches God's word to everyone who will hear him. The Jewish religious leaders are there who hate him. The community is gathered there. People of the world are gathered there to hear this word. And the Jewish leaders of the faith, with all of their doctorates and all of their education and all of their book learning, look to Jesus. And they ask among themselves, how can this uneducated man, a man who has never been to a school like we've been, 
a man who doesn't have a diploma to hang on his wall like we have, how can he teach the Word so incisively, so correctly? How can this man who doesn't have letters, hasn't had a school education, teach in that way? Well, sadly, these Jewish leaders of teaching were teaching out of their education. And they were teaching out of their head knowledge, the Word of God. But they had no connection with God with their heart. You know, these men hated Jesus. But Jesus didn't hate them in return. I believe that he had a holy sorrow for them. Because they were teaching out of their head and out of their books. But they weren't leading the people by their heart connected to God Almighty. And Jesus felt a divine sorrow for them. And yet they hated him. And we'll see the level of the hatred in this scripture today. You know, I'm a firm believer in education. I think it's important. But book learning cannot replace a heart that is on fire for the Word of God. Book learning can't take that place. It can help us in understanding, but it cannot take the place of our connection with our Savior wanting to have a passion in preaching His Word, wanting to give you the truth. My prayer throughout the week, and especially on Sunday morning, is, Oh, God Almighty, please lead me to teach your truth. Do not allow me to speak one word that would mislead someone to understand your truth. I believe that a heart connected with the Savior is the most important part of whether you're teaching Sunday school or a little group of mission friends or standing in the pulpit. A heart connected to Jesus Christ is the beginning of good teaching. It has to be there. These teachers of the law did not have that heart. And Jesus felt a true sorrow for them. In verses 16 through 19, they are criticizing Jesus, but he answers the critics of his teaching. He says, what I teach is really not my word. I'm teaching you the word that God the Father has given me to bring to you. There's a key statement. Look at verse 16. Chapter 7, verse 16. Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his that sent me. So he says, My teaching doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God the Father. He sent me to teach you his word. So as we think about Jesus and his work among us, we know that God the Father sent his Son from heaven in order to bring us the holy word that God wants us to know. Jesus teaches us what God would have us to know. The Son of God, God Himself, teaching us the Word of God. And Jesus gives us the definition of a true preacher or teacher of the Word. Look at verse 18. He that speaketh of himself seeketh his own glory. But he that seeketh his glory that sent him, the same is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Now, remember, Jesus is in the temple, and all of these religious leaders are surrounding him, and this is a statement toward them. Basically, what he's saying to them in sorrow is, if you teach to your honor, if you give God's word so that you'll get rich, if you give God's word so that you can wear the fancy robes, and so people salute you in the marketplace, if you teach to your honor, you're not teaching the word of God. You're teaching something that's selfish and directed to yourself. But also we know that word continues to apply today. That 
people can teach the Word of God to their own honor. Now, I'm not throwing a rock at any particular preacher here, but I will say that there are preachers throughout our country and our world who are making millions of dollars a year preaching the Word of God. Really? Whose honor are they seeking? You know, there's something in me that says a preacher who can live in a mansion that costs several million dollars preaching about a Savior who didn't even have a home. To me, there's something basically off-kilter there and wrong there. Do you agree with me in that? There's something, I'm not, I don't have any particular preacher in mind, but there's something that just doesn't strike me about that being right. You know, I, I glance through the religious networks every now and then on TV, and of course you can find all kinds of preachers from all over the world there. There was one that I came across, I don't know, several months ago, and he was putting out a plea for those who were listening to send in money because he needed a new jet. His jet was getting old, getting a little decrepit. So if you would send me in several million dollars so I can have myself a new jet that I can fly around so I can preach the Word of God. There's something that just doesn't strike me right about that. Why can't he fly a coach on a regular airplane? Why does he need his own jet? He's preaching about a Savior who came to us and had nothing. Can't we take the basic transportation to get to our preaching destination? I think we can. Jesus himself says in John chapter 7, verse 18, that he sought no fame for himself. He didn't seek to make money. When he preached, he didn't seek to get paid. He only had one set of clothes to wear. Scripture tells us plainly he didn't have a home that he owned. Jesus said, I did not come for my own honor. I did not come to seek fame. He only wanted to lift up the Father. That's what his life was about. Basically, Jesus says, my life is to make sure you understand the truth of what the Father is teaching through me, the Son. So as we look at this scripture, we realize that Jesus doesn't hate these teachers, but he has a holy sorrow for them, and they hate him in return. He makes a very pointed comment toward these leaders in verse 19. Look at that verse, 719. Did not Moses, he's speaking to the teachers now, did not Moses give you the law, and yet none of you keepeth the law? Why go ye about to kill me? He said, you teach the law, but you don't live the law. You preach, but you don't practice what you preach. It's simply what you give to the people, but you have no desire to live it yourself. You have no desire to have that holy connection with God yourself. You're breaking God's law. Jesus said, you even seek to kill me because I'm bringing the truth. So Jesus is saying this. Remember now, he's in the middle of the temple. He's in the most public forum you can be in. And all of these people are listening. Can, Can you imagine How much more hatred develops with these religious leaders because of what Jesus says. He's calling them out. Basically what he's doing is saying, you're fat and you're lazy and you're out of the will of God and you're making a living on falsity and preaching his word. He is calling them out. Well, let's move on. Chapter 7, verse 20. Jesus is still standing in the temple and he hears a question. Look at the question. Verse 20. 
The people answered and said, Thou hast a devil who goeth about to kill thee. So the people who are gathered there, listening to all of this, they call out, Do you have a demon messing with your mind? Who is trying to kill you? Is that a figment of your imagination? Who is on your heels trying to take your life? And Jesus answered their question. He said, the Jewish religious leaders hate me. They want to kill me because I'm bringing the truth. I'm calling them out, and they hate me for it. Verses 21 through 24, he explains why he's under a death sentence. Now, this gets a little complicated, so hang with me here. You ready? Hang with me. Let me read verses 21 and 22. Here's what Jesus says. Chapter 7, go to verse 21. Jesus answered and said unto them, I have done one work, and ye all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave unto you circumcision, not because it is of Moses, but of the fathers, and ye on the Sabbath day circumcise a man. Okay, let me paraphrase here what Jesus is saying. It's a bit complicated, but we can understand it. He says, on the Sabbath day, if you remember, I healed a man. We find that healing in chapter 5, if you want to backtrack. But he says, I healed a man at the pool of Bethesda. I gave a man his life back by healing his legs. He was no longer crippled. He could pick up his pallet and he could walk away. He hadn't been able to do that for many, many years if he could have done it at all in his life. I miraculously healed a man. I medically gave him a healing of grace and blessing, but it was a miracle of a medical healing. And the Jewish religious leaders didn't praise God because he got healed, but rather they accused me because I did the healing on the Sabbath day. And basically what they said is the law says you can't work on the Sabbath day, and you just did a miracle of medical work here. So you've broken the law, and we want your life for it. We want to kill you because you healed this man. So the religious leaders take this one instance out of Jesus' life, and give him a death sentence. Now here's Jesus' retort. Here's how he comes back to them. He says, in the Bible, God gave Israel the mark of circumcision. And in the Bible, it says, when a male Israelite child is eight days old, you bring that child to the temple, and he will be circumcised there. It's a medical, surgical procedure. And he said, for every baby in Israel that is born on a Friday, that next Saturday, eight days away, the parents bring that baby to the temple, and you take care of that baby medically by the law. You surgically do something to that baby on the Sabbath day. You are breaking the same law that you're accusing me of breaking. You're breaking the same law that brings me a death sentence. Now, does that make sense? So Jesus is bringing back to them saying, you're accusing me of something that you do every Sabbath day. I had one miracle, and you want a death sentence, and you do it every Sabbath. He sees them as hypocritical. He sees them as having a double standard, as just developing an excuse to kill him. Now remember, again, he's standing in the temple. He's surrounded by all kinds of people here, and now the people speak up. Look at verses 25 through 27. Then said some of them to, or rather, then said some of them of Jerusalem, Is not this he whom they seek to kill? But lo, he speaketh boldly, 
and they say nothing unto him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is the very Christ? Howbeit we know this man whence he is, but when Christ cometh, no man knoweth whence he is. So all the people gathered here in the temple and on the temple grounds are hearing Jesus teach and also come toward these religious leaders. And he speaks boldly to them. And the people who are listening say, don't these leaders know who this is? They're figuring it out. The public is figuring out, this is the Son of God. He's teaching us the truth. He's speaking the Word of God. Don't these religious leaders understand that we're hearing the Word of God directly from the Son of God, the Savior? So the crowd is figuring this out. And the religious leaders are just hating Him all the more. And here's where Jesus lifts up His voice. This strong, overpowering voice that takes control of all the temple grounds. I want you to look with me at verses 28 through 31. This great voice of Jesus Christ. I believe He had a tremendous voice. A wonderful preaching voice. The word that Pastor Clyde teaches me. This stentorian voice to be able to reach the multitudes. Look at what it says. Look at verse 28. Then cried Jesus, meaning He lifted up that voice. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. But I know him, for I am from him, and he hath sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? Now what I want you to feel here, what I want you to pick up from Scripture here, is an intense, overpowering desire of Jesus to make himself known to the people who are searching for the Savior. He has this overpowering desire to be known as the Savior of God. And he says in this scripture here, yes, I'm the carpenter's son. You know all about me. You know that my hometown is Nazareth. But you must understand that my life goes far beyond that. God Almighty sent me to you by the plan of God. I stepped out of heaven And God the Father sent me to the manger. And God the Father allowed me to to live on this earth a sinless life. I came from God the Father to you. I came that you might know His love. That you might know His salvation. I came that you might have a living, growing relationship with Him through me. The Son of God. That's why I'm here. So Jesus has this burning desire For people to see him as the Savior. Why? Because the cross is getting closer and closer and closer. So Jesus wants to make himself known far beyond being that young man who grew up in Nazareth in the carpenter shop as being the Son of God. And he has this desire for the world to know him. And as Jesus tells them that truth, guards come in to subdue him but they couldn't touch him. God wouldn't allow it to happen. Why? Because it was not his time for the cross yet. It was not his time to die as a sacrifice yet. He's on this holy, divine timetable. 
And God is in control of every second of Jesus' life, and it's not his time. So they could not take him in arrest at this moment. And many in that moment believed him. While the religious leaders hated him all the more, many in that temple grounds came to him as Savior, believed him, came to know him. Well, this is a tough scripture. It's not easy to explain. I hope God has given me the clarity that you can understand it. But what's the main point of the sermon today? What's the main point of these verses 14 through 31? Here it is. Listen. There is a huge, mighty difference in knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus. There's a mighty difference between knowing about Him and knowing Him in personal relationship. You know, I believe that that can be used by Satan as one of the greatest deceptions that's going to give hell to people by surprise. The Pharisees were deceived. The teachers of the law were deceived. They believed, all I need to do is get my education, get my degree on the wall, teach the Word of God from my head and not my heart. And Jesus said, you're deceived. And you're hell-bound because of it. He doesn't hate them. He's sorry for them. But one day there will be multitudes who are going to stand before Jesus and they're going to say, Jesus, I knew you. I knew you through my life. I was there in church for your birthday and your resurrection. I went at Christmas. I went at Easter. I know some of the facts about your life. I know some of the words of the Bible. I've tried to keep you on the edge of my life. I've tried to tip my hat to you on occasion. I've tried to be good. I've tried to be moral. I've tried to be kind. I've knew you because that's what you've told me to do. Jesus, you said you loved the world. I depended on that. For God so loved the world, I'm included in that group, aren't I? So if you love the world, you're going to take us all. And I thought I was good enough for heaven. I thought that I was living good enough that I would inherit eternal life. I prayed. I prayed when I was in trouble. I was good. I tried to make up for my bad by being extra good for a little period of time. Well, friends, I'm not going to try to offer you an explanation of that. I'm going to give you Jesus' words. Write this reference down. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Here's Jesus' reply to this passage of Scripture. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord... Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then, Jesus says, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's a great, mighty difference between knowing about Jesus and knowing Jesus in a personal relationship. That's the whole context of what we've studied today. Do you truly know him? Do you truly have a relationship with him? 
a relationship that walks with him and talks with him and is growing with him. It's the most serious and the most eternal question I'm asking you today. I'm not asking you if you're good. I'm glad you're in church, but I'm not asking you, do you go to church on a regular basis? I'm not asking you if you're moral. I'm asking you, do you have a personal, saving, growing relationship with Jesus? There's a mighty difference about knowing about Him and knowing Him. Here's the Bible's word made plain. Knowing Jesus is not part-time. Knowing Jesus is not knowing Him and keeping one foot in a spiritual world and the other foot in the, in, the, in the worldly world. It's giving everything that you have to Him and surrender. It's total following. It's total dependency on Him. It's looking to Him to follow how He wants us to live life Basically, knowing Jesus is all or it's nothing. There's no in-between. There's no percentage of knowing Jesus. You know him 100% or you know him 0%. Do you know him? That's the challenge of the Scripture today. Do you know him? Do you want to know him more deeply? Total surrender. I say that without hesitation because that is exactly what the Bible teaches us that we give everything to him, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Does that describe your life today, believer? I, I, as I stand here in this pulpit, I can tell you, I'm not pointing a finger at you telling you that I'm perfect in this. I have a lot of growing to do yet. There are ways that I still need to draw closer to my Savior. But my prayer and my desire is daily I want to be on that journey with my Lord. Believers, is that your prayer today? I want to be on that journey with you, Lord. I want to grow in you. Yes, I know you, but I want to grow in you. And I want to love you more deeply. And I want, I want to surrender everything I have to you. Not just little pieces of my life. Not just little time frames of my life. Yes, I'll be in church for an hour a week. I want to give you my life. I want to give you everything I am. Is that our is that our rededication today? I pray so, church. And I want to be a part of that rededication of my own life. And today, if you don't know him as your Savior, I want to remind you of this. Jesus did come to save you. Jesus did not come to this earth to make a million dollars. He didn't come to this earth to build himself a huge mansion. He didn't come to build up a large wardrobe. He only had one set of clothes. He didn't come to gather worldly fame. He came for one reason and one reason alone, and that's to save you, a lost sheep. He came for me too. He came laying aside his glory, emptying himself that he might find you and me. If you need him today, he came that you might know the truth, that you can be a son or a daughter of God by faith in the Savior, Jesus the Christ. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Amen. If you need him, you come to him. Believers, can we rededicate our life all to Jesus? We surrender. Church home, whatever you need, he meets us here. Let's pray. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments. Lord, this 
has been a challenging scripture for me, and I've prayed over it all week long that you would give me the clarity that I don't have humanly. I pray, Father, that where I have failed, that you have filled in the blanks and that your truth is made known. Lord, there's a great difference between knowing about you, trying to live a life that's good, and knowing you in a personal relationship of forgiveness. I pray that every person here in the sound of my voice, in a sanctuary, online, on an FM signal, that every person will come to Jesus as Lord and Savior and that we will want a relationship that will continue to grow with you. Bless us in this precious moment of decision, I pray. We love you and we're grateful to be in your presence in Jesus' precious name. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.